0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Chute, D. Matthew Chute. I'm Chute Chi. Hashtag Chute Chi on Twitter. Coming to you now as the Climate Buddha. I have spent the last three weeks in a state of non-communication for two reasons. My own personal problems and number two... A gentleman who cross-posted and disagreed with some of the science that the uh, Climate Buddha was presenting, and how I was presenting it, and demanded that I retract a statement. And that, that what's uh, occurred after that point, you know, was an exercise in uh, first off what appeared to be um, scientific gamesmanship. In other words, my my research is better than your research um, which is what happens between researchers and it's part of the games of man and it ended up with all sorts of categorizations and ad hominem attacks and all these difficulties of communication independent of the key message so in response to what I experienced, uh, I have much to learn from this in many ways, including the issues raised, and uh, because of the public nature of these, with a little bit of research you can see some of the aspects of it. But I made a comment about the um, degree to which um, industrial civilization's relationship was to its existence to the aerosol masking effect. This is global dimming. This is the aerosol masking effect. This is a piece of climatological science that's controversial right now, and it should be. There should be the greatest minds waiting in on it to make sure that we know what we're doing. Because uh, it turns out that that in a very counterintuitive and just painful to describe way that climate scientists and and, you know, lifelong activists of all type for the living planet are coming to the realization that keeping industrial civilization intact with its current pollution scales and CO2 usage and all of that uh, will keep the planet from rapidly uh, heating up. See, the, a rapid heating is the issue. It, it, the, the rate of change is it's, it's all about. So the aerosol masking effect is if we were to shut down industrial civilization and stop burning coal and stop flying airplanes and stop putting particulate matter into the the sky, if we stopped all of that, there would be an instantaneous worldwide heat up. Uh, in, in about thirty to, to sixty days, it would certainly the effects would begin. Whether it would take longer for them to to work out, the localized problems would then become nationalized problems. This this will heat the globe very quickly, and the arguments about how much how how much of that heat up there's no arguments about it, it not heating up. The ones that are saying that are are not counted. Everybody agrees that once the particulate matters drop out of the The uh, sky. we're going to have some form of heating. How much? How much of that heating? So there's something called the average uh, surface temperature. And the average surface temperature of the Earth, average. If you take all the temperatures everywhere and you run it through supercomputers that break down the globe into these different cubic sizes depending upon the size of the computer's processor, and they figure out what the average temperature is in any given moment, because there's a relationship between that average temperature and how much CO2 is in, in the atmosphere. So, like, this, this type of relationship is figured out. And now we know that the average temperature right now is about 1.75 to 2.0 degrees Celsius over industrial baseline. Depending on who you want to talk to, actually. And the number's lower in some publications because they've changed the industrial, pre-industrial baseline to sometime in 1980, which made the whole thing look just a lot more different because everything really has been happening. All the excitement and temperature changes has been happening since the 70s and 80s. (coughs) Otherwise, the the progression was relatively unexciting. But we have the telltale signs of what's called uh, exponential change now going on. So you look at the graphs, they're going upward quickly. So this rate of change can't be sustained. So this is the problem: with the aerosol masking effect is that it, it would bake us all very quickly if we shut everything down. So the green people, the people who are devoted to, to you know greening the planet, putting in as many trees as possible, and returning as much of our land to its natural state and forestry, and really trying to solve the climate crisis with a huge green effort. They have so much to say (coughs) when it comes to (coughs) the validity of their attempt in both an emotional and a practical level, you know, returning us to as much of a state as, as, as we possibly can, you know, if that didn't destroy this aerosol masking effect problem. So, we have to figure this out it has to be figured out and the reason why i say figured it out out of all the geoengineering world issues which you're probably not familiar and certainly the the climate buddha doesn't know every geoengineering model out there but the throwing of uh jet exhausts with various substances to increased uh you know cloud cover this is this is this is done this is figured out we can do this that piece of science is readily available so the thing is, is that this type of geoengineering would require us to keep a fleet of airplanes flying. And you need practically the entire industrial civilization to do that. I just want you to know, keep, you know, one, just try to keep one F-16 in the air without the kind of spare parts necessary. These, these things break. These are high-performance vehicles. So anyways, the, the entire process of maintaining a, a fleet of jets is a huge industrial project. So, this is how we can tune we can get down from where we are in what's called you know a controlled you know cascade. the idea of crashing the economy and and or crashing industrial civilization and with a huge greening effort, you know if we got just started to mow down all aspects of of industrial society and planted apple orchards, which is probably a good idea so every single square of which is is creating fruit trees this this grain reliance has been a tragedy we have to get off of grain reliance and we're going to have difficult times maintaining grain growth at scale we have to have localized food and localized fruit trees are really the epicenter of that so you know the tree planting idea if you really wanted to be aggressive with this just say you know everybody's front lawn is open hunting season for planting fruit trees and just until we have this ginormous, you know, fruit system where we can feed mass populations with a localized fruit growth. This is possible in various climates, but yeah, it's certainly not a solution everywhere. Down here in Florida, it could be done. The idea of having just an unlimited amount of food available so that people aren't so stressed out with living their lives that they have their basic survival needs met it gives them enough time so that they can invest into, you know, the, the problems the epic problems that our previous generations have handed us in the form of climate change. This this epic series of problems it has to be solved, and there's needs a, we need an employed, and functioning population to fix this. Since relying on capitalism or whatever our current system is to fully employ people seems to be some sort of magical economic bullet that can't be done. So we need to employ people fully as as voters that the efforts and energies of their research in, in voting and actively participating in the existence of their location, this takes time and a universal wage where everyone is paid just to be. They'll no longer be a, a, a force to compete with one another. No longer will be, everyone will be forced for scrambling around for low-wage jobs that lead nowhere so they can just work and die. This is not a deal. This is not what labor promised us years ago when they had their first strike and says, wait a minute, management will turn us all into slaves. Well, they've done it. They've succeeded. They've won the game. They've won it because they fixed it. They rigged it for money. They had the money, so they got in charge. This system has led us to where we are now in the climate. There's no one in charge enough to be able to stay, wait a minute, we needed to change. But you know what happened was, is that there wasn't enough people in charge listening to Carl Sagan back in the 80s and saying, this is the time to fix this. It's going to go, it's going to change, we're going to have changes, it's not going to be good. He knew about it, he ignored this. Human tendency to ignore these problems and to go on to the next problem, etc., etc. This This sequence of going from one idea to the next because it's interesting to our brains is what the tv's figured out you know we're just just our short attention span tree monkey that's looking for some fruit and hanging off the tree so you know this background does not really lend itself to understanding exponential math and the idea of worldwide temperature is one of those problems worldwide average temperature increase what we're seeing now which is everything is burning. Temperature records are being set everywhere. Storm records are being set everywhere. Massive change is happening very quickly. This is from only a small perturbation of the worldwide average temperature. This isn't caused by six degrees, seven degree increases. They're there, by the way, the this this the models easily can predict six to seven degree temperature increases at some point. It's always about when, isn't it? But the thing is, is, that this is small temperature. So like the aerosol masking effect, after arguing about it, it's like, well, no, it's only going to be a worldwide temperature increase of only a quarter of degree. And that's going to happen in a short period of time. That's the lowest estimate that I've seen, but it's just, it's, it's ridiculously low doesn't make sense. All the other science does not back up that low of one, but let's say that that's it. 0.25 degree Celsius, increase in worldwide average temperature over a 60 to 80 day period, 120 day, six months period, say that just does in six months, will absolutely tear up everything. Everything. It just... It'll just tear up all living systems. They are just not going to be able to handle that rate of change. Things that grow are going to be all messed up. Pollen cycles, insect collapse. These things are going to be horrendous on the food chain. So, you know, this problem, when you talk like this and you say, wow, everybody's just trying to ask about, you know, the scientific numbers and the projections of those numbers and you just go, wait a minute. We're not ta- talking about we're not talking about numbers here. You know, we're talking about something that's tragic beyond definable tragedy. It's just that bad. It's just that tragic. It's just that soon. We're facing a potential ice-free Arctic in the next two or three years. We don't don't know exactly what that's going to do, but it's going to heat the globe up to some extent very quickly. These rates of change. So if we heat the globe up, like I said, 0.25 degrees average temperature from loss of the uh, Arctic, and we do that in, say, six months... That average increase is going to just tear everything up. And then, as everything gets torn up, industrial civilization in various precarious places in the world probably not Florida suburbia, but it might be. Florida suburbia might be the first thing to go. But it could very well be you know, all of India is now dying of exposure and lack of food and water resources. We start losing billions of people. You know, and we start losing, you know, billions of, of other places. This is going to cause huge swaths of industrial society to collapse, to shut down. I mean, just so. If we shut off all of China and India, if they were the first to go, which, of course, is completely debatable. But if they were the first to go, then that huge chunk of industrial society that they represent would affect the worldwide uh, temperature, it would affect it. So a little quarter of a degree from this and a little quarter degree from that and i'm not even going into any of the others because there's just an incredibly long list of overlapping temperature on top of temperature increase things that are baked in based on thermodynamics and physics and you know this acceleration of heating and its potential into you know really high numbers will just become moot at some point because we will already have completely not been able to live through this change This is the sad reality of the near-term human extinction movement. So near-term human extinction says, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? What are are the time frames? And then you start backing yourself back and forth along this slide rule of pain. And you go, well, let's say these mechanisms all kick in and it takes till 2050. And we got another solid 30 years and then it's going to go to crap then. And then you go, oh well, hey, maybe it's twenty one hundred. We can just keep moving the slide rule out there, and then it's just going to be so horrendous that nothing's going to be able to live because it's going to be too much temperature. You go, ah, I see it? That's just out there seventy years. But you know, this is this is this is the tragedy of it. Is that now I'm going to ask you how if I told you that there were mechanisms that could that could kick in and we could have the collapses and all the temperature increases and all the worldwide deaths and that could be happening and say. A decade does it make it any less tragic than in 50 years and in 100 years does it make it any less tragic that it's in a decade I mean there are some estimating less than five years before all these mechanisms just make life unbearable for life and you know is that any more tragic So, the thing is, is that the near term human extinction movement is a process. It's the realization of, of the news. At first, it turns you into a hashtag logical radical. And you go, I can't believe that this logic, this science, is leading me to believe or at least understand things at this level that is so tragic, that is just beyond emotional comprehension. There is simply no corollary for the scientific realization that we are headed towards some sort of horrendous worldwide extinction event that's going to include mass swaths of the population, and we may have damaged the globe ecologically so bad that it will never regain its biodiversity in millennia. This is a tragedy. The near-term human extinction movement says, wait a minute. At what point do you have enough data where you've got a time out in the future where this is going to occur? How long do you have to listen to the climate Buddha until you put a number on it and say, now nah, it's going to be okay for 50 years? Now it's going to be okay for 10? But it's funny, the more and more you research it, and the more time that you put in, you can talk to Bill Nye, the science guy. Because Bill Nye, the science guy, met with a man by the name of Guy McPherson, who is a professor, and he has been one of the leading scientific minds describing the peer-reviewed research available to anybody willing to look it up that describes baked-in temperature increases, things that can't change because we've changed something already. And these numbers, in association with these baked-in changes, are frighteningly high. And everybody's saying, "Oh, well, this isn't. No one's going to live through this." So then you see all these papers come out where they're saying, "Oh, well, you know, maybe we can live through six-degree increase of worldwide temperature because, gee, in the middle of Siberia, it'll be great. That'll be green fields and good rain and everything in Siberia." And everyone who's living in Florida says, "Yeah, that should be no problem. It's going to get to Siberia." It's ridiculous. We're facing a worldwide tragedy. So it's a tragedy of epic proportions and that understanding the gravity of that just brings to bear new philosophy, new understandings. It's a ripe form of, of intellectual and philosophical discourse to discuss hospice for the planet, for everything, for all living beings. What is that? And nobody wants to discuss hospice unless they have to. No one wants to. I, I, have, I have friends who are in the business. They do hospice work. I'm a Buddhist. I have many friends who, who wrote books on the subject, actually, of trying to understand the nature of death. Because death and dying are one of the things that are certain about our lives, but we don't talk about it much because spiritually it's, it doesn't really have a lot to do with optimism and hope. And the thing is, the optimism and hope universe of keeping things working, keeping things going, work harder, work harder, the ethos of capitalistic comp- competition is to maximize the productivity of your slaves, to maximize the productivity of your, of your flock of sheep. This, this mentality, this concentration of power has failed us to protect us from the rigors of climate change. I have hashtag distribute power that asks, what if we just tried to distribute power? What if we just tried to have large swaths of people deciding big, important issues instead of one person deciding big, important issues? What if we just looked at the entire system of families and said, why is this male, especially the white male or the black male or any man in any culture anywhere assuming complete omniscient control of the family? This is being questioned by the feminists for a reason, is that the entire inherent power structure, male-dominated power structure, is what's created this belief that we need to keep concentrating power through wealth, concentrating power through privilege, and concentrating power through a political system that's designed to, to injure, not benefit, the working people. This situation has jumped the shark. It is no longer functioning. We need to not discuss who's going to be playing in this game anymore? We need to discuss a new game. We need to be playing a new game. We need to be playing something that actually makes sense for the computer generation that looks at our current system and says, what did we inherit? What a horror show. I'm not participating in it. And the thing is that they're being blamed for their not being participation because the economy did not create the jobs for, these, for this generation, and it won't. Because all of the mechanisms for job production are in place. We're going to be facing more and more and higher degrees of mechanization. There just simply going to be fewer and fewer jobs. This is just a math problem. We need a social wage. Universal aligned social wage for everybody. Pay for everybody. Once we've put the math to whatever that is that becomes the basis of the the functional economy. And that's where food and other uh, processes of keeping people alive have to come from that economy. Once that economy, separate from all other capitalist games, separate from anything else, once that economy is fully intact, where everyone's needs are being met and they're they're actively participating in their own destiny through a concerted voting effort, that we will see the changes necessary because there's no easy decisions when you're facing near-term human extinction. NTHE. And the time frame from when that occurs. Right now, this very moment in 2019, the 16th of September, we dodged the September ice free Arctic this year. Ice has never been thinner. Its coverage is okay, but it's never, never been thinner. It's not okay. It's, it's the coverage is down. Never, it's been lower this coverage ever. But there's enough coverage so to say that we didn't have an ice-free Arctic. But we are going to have weather effects from what happened. There's just simply no way the jet stream is not feeling the additional heat of the um, of the Arctic. But at this time right now, that keeping industrial civilization going, keeping everything just cruising along, business as usual keeping as much of its available to solve the problems that we face, which, number one, are decommissioning nuclear reactors, and number two, the climate change consequences. We have a, this, this nuclear power, you know, if, if, if it turns out if it's 10 years, what if the people who are saying that we're facing horrendous weather, 10-year life, what if they're right, we've got to shut down the nuclear power plants now. So, you just they have to be shut down. Fukushima has to be fixed. as best we can possibly fix it. It's, they're about ready to dump all the uh, radioactive water into the Pacific. This will kill everything. Eventually. It just takes time. They're just, it's just an echo side. So, you know, we have to fix these two problems. They're going to be tough to fix. We've got to fix them before abrupt climate change takes in. My name is Matthew Chudam, the Climate Buddha. My goal is to give my listeners... And the universe as best information as I possibly can through this current epoch. I've been on this subject. I helped coin the term near term human extinction. I've been contemplating it for many years. I understand what it is. I'd like to be part of the digest of this subject matter and the issues in association with abrupt climate change and the mechanisms in association with it, the political, emotional, philosophical existential conundrum that we are all facing concerning climate change. My name is Matthew Chute. I'm Chute Chi, the Climate Buddha.